Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. All right. That girl on video announcements is cute. Yeah. All right. Let me get us locked in here. How's everybody doing this morning? I love it. There's some energy in the room. Listen, on this uh, humid, uh, not so sunny Sunday morning, to bring a little energy to church is always a good thing. For those of you who I have not had the honor to meet yet, my name is Pastor Tyler. I'm our next generation pastor here at CCC, so I have the distinct honor of overseeing our children, youth, young adult, while kind of focusing my pastoral efforts into our junior high and high school students, and I lead that with an incredible team of people. And I want to tell you, if you are ever questioning if God is in control of the next generation, just come, let me buy you a cup of coffee, let me tell you a few things of what God's doing, because He is on the move in young people today, especially here at CCC. God is on the move. Before I dive in today, I just want to take a moment and kind of circle back. I, I took time over the last several weeks to kind of recap what's been going on uh, in the, up, to the, up to this point in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount series. And I have to say, probably outside of Jesus teaching it himself, I got to say the way we've been doing it is pretty close to how good Jesus did. Now, there's a gap there, but it's pretty dang good. <laughs> I'm very thankful for uh, Pastor Tony leading us into this for the summer and for uh, Joy, Pastor Chris, and the words that we've been getting this summer through this message because I truly believe that if we can internalize the Sermon on the Mount, not only do we walk out the life of Jesus in our life better, but we become conduits to a world-changing effort that the Holy Spirit wants to do through us in the world today. If we can get a hold of this, God has access to uh, a a revival this world has never seen. So I want to open up today because we're going to go into Matthew chapter 7. We're in the third uh, chapter of Matthew 5 through 7. We are going into Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to open up the passage on judging others. Yeah, the hush across the room. Everybody got real nervous there for a second. It's okay. It's going to be good. We're going to go into some good stuff. Before I do that, I want to talk about there, there is a culture here at CCC that I love. I, have, uh, I went to school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt, and saw mega church after mega church. I lived on the East Coast for a few months and saw different types of churches there, but there's something that God is doing here at CCC that is so unique that takes us back to why we do sermons like Sermon on the Mount, why we go back to this rooted thing. What I love about this house is that we don't look outward and say, what are they doing? Now we have to do that. In fact, we are a church that's going to take our attention, put it on the word of God and say, I don't care what anybody else is doing. What does this say? And we know that this is more living and active than any trend or fad that might come the church's way. We want to take this book, get everything out of it that we can and present it to you in a way that makes sense. That way when we internalize it and go, we can be a part of changing the world. And so, as, as I've seen here, I mean, there's a reason we have that sticker on the door out there, 30 years. It's not by chasing fads. It's not by chasing trends. It is by being rooted on the word of God and seeing our community impacted because of it. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. 
So I want to challenge you today that as we continue chewing on the Sermon on the Mount, would you open your heart and ask God for the challenge in even the hardest places of your heart? Maybe the, if, you, if you think of your heart like a, like a house, and there's a couple of closets you have locked, and you haven't really given God access to those closets yet. Maybe you haven't quite swept under those rugs with the Lord yet. I want to encourage you, today is a very good day to say, God, here are the keys. Because I promise when you do that, and this word gets deep into your soul, it will change you forever. You will have a kingdom imprint on your heart that cannot be undone by anything the world could ever do. So this morning, I want to pray for you as we get started that God would open up every door and blow the roof off of the house of your heart with his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love you and we love your word. We love that you have nothing but good intentions towards us. You want us to be like you more than even we understand. So Lord, I pray today as we open up your living and active word and we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us to understand it, God, that you would give us the grace needed to take it all in, to change us, and to have our hearts made new. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you guys wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. A little context here. I know uh, we've kind of re- reviewed the context of uh, the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, but I want to just hit a couple points here really quick. The Sermon on the Mount comes at a very pivotal time in the church's history, and especially when Jesus is presenting it, because up to this point, the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees, had misunderstood the heart of God coming out of the Old Testament. They had taken 600 plus laws and commandments, interpreted them through their own understanding, and then laid this oppressive blanket of legalism and religion over the, Jew, uh, the Jewish people at that time and said, if you can't do this, you might not get to heaven. You might not, you might miss it. And they laid this oppressive religious uh, uh, weight on the people. And there was kind of a, uh, there was a lack of hope. There was a despondency in the people at the time because they didn't know if they could actually be good enough. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he doesn't come and abolish that law. He actually comes in and doubles it down. But then he presents the way that we can get access to him. And so what I want to challenge you with today is that if we would internalize the Sermon on the Mount, that you would walk away with this, that you don't have to do to become, but you do because you are. You are a son or daughter of God. You are uh, adopted into his holy family. And when you get that deep in your soul, there is no more need to perform. There is no need to impress. It is simply a byproduct of what Jesus has already done on the inside. And so what Jesus came to do was to undo that religious oppression and say, listen, I'm actually going, the standard is actually that high, but I know you can't get there. It is by my grace that I will get you, that I will give you access to me and give you the ability to work closer and closer to me, becoming more holy as Jesus is holy. So today is not about a do and don't. Today is about how do we become more like Jesus. So my first point I want to challenge you with today is what are you going to do with the words of Jesus? Are you going to let them go in one ear and out the other, like so many have done over the years? Or are you willing to meditate on them, 
take his words and let it challenge you and say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of changing the world. So now that you've heard them, let's do them. Let's walk this out. Matthew chapter 7, let's zoom in a little bit. Up to this point, Jesus has been addressing a lot of other things. He's been uh, talking about uh, attitudes and giving, prayer, fasting, materialism, and anxiety over material things. But at Matthew chapter 7, he pivots a little bit, and he starts going to the interior of your spiritual life. He wants to see how do we treat others out of the reflection of the interior of your soul. There's a passage I'm going to refer to later, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is where in the passage Jesus says, okay, we know how you, we want you to act, but now we got to get to the source of it. We got to get to your heart. And when we get to that part, when we start healing and working on that part, everything that comes out is out of that healthier, whole place. We see this example of Jesus dealing with um, judgment and people dealing with this prejudging nature that comes from even the most well-intentioned people. But we see Jesus start to model it. Um, there's this example in Matthew 26 when there's this woman who pours out this very expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? That's so expensive. That could have fed so many poor people. That could have, you know, fill in the blank. That could have done so many more things. And Jesus says, listen, you misunderstood. You prejudged. You judged incorrectly on this situation. What she, done, what she did was incredibly important. She'll be remembered forever because of her act of worship. Jesus, in this passage, we're going to see in judging others, is not about a do and don't, but it is about finding the heart of Jesus and then walking that out as a response. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and, in the, uh, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Jesus kind of uses this humorous language of clearly, how do, you, how do you miss this plank, this two by four sticking out of your face? And you miss the speck of, but you are so focused on the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. Jesus, through this humorous language, paints this picture of a way how we can so often miss it in this department of following Jesus. So before I go any further, I want to kind of highlight a couple ways that we could judge others. We judge others when we think the worst of others. We, when we speak only of someone's faults. We judge an entire life by only its worst moments. It's like the opposite of the highlight reel. You only see the low light reel and that's all you can think about of that person. We judge them by the hidden motives. We interpret what we think their motives are and we judge it by those motives. We judge others without considering ourselves in the same circumstance. It's like walk a mile in their shoes type of thing. We judge others without being mindful of ourselves that we too will be judged. It's a promise from, from Scripture that if we judge, we are going to 
submit ourselves under the same judgment. So it's kind of a watch what you say type of situation here. So point number one I want to talk about, when we judge, what are we assuming? We are assuming a sign of spiritual ignorance and arrogance. Now, I'm going to tell you the next couple of points I'm going to have is going to be a little bit of medicine. That's okay. We need, the, the Bible is supposed to help make us healthy and whole. We need these tough points, but I promise you we're going to see the, the redemption of it all here at the end of my message. But let's, uh, let's buckle up for a couple uh, spoonfuls of medicine here. Judgment is a sign of spiritual ignorance and arrogance. Think of it like this. When you judge, you are assuming you know everything about that situation. You are assuming the knowledge that God has about that situation, and you are putting yourself in God's place to say, I know exactly what that situation is all about, and I can make a determination about it. That's a, that's a really, I, let's just call it what it is. It's a very arrogant way of walking around the world, walking, conducting ourselves in life. I know as much as God does. I know a lot of you in the room, and you're not God. I, I, w- I mean, you're close, but you're not God. You don't know what he knows. And when we start to get this judging attitude, that's what the disciples did in that, ma- in that uh, passage in Matthew. They assumed Jesus' thoughts about the situation and then conducted a judgment on this woman. And they were wrong. Jesus' heart is not wired the same way our heart is. We need our hearts to be rewired to be like his. And it's only by humbly submitting ourselves to Jesus that we undo that arrogant and ignorant part of us and we incline it towards Jesus and say, Jesus, I, there's no way. Think of it like this. If somebody looked at your life and how you got saved, what if somebody met you 10 minutes before you got saved? And they made a whole judgment on your life from the 10 minutes before you gave your heart to Jesus. They have no idea, but God, from his heavenly view, sees, listen, I have a plan and a purpose for them. They are going to step into their calling. They're going to step into salvation here in just a moment. But who are we to assume about them? There's this passage in Luke 6. It's actually kind of a retelling of this same passage, but it highlights some very unique components. Luke 6, verse 36 through 42. It says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I love that passage right before we get into judgment. It's this declaration of be merciful. Our default mode should be the mercy of God. When we walk in that mercy, mercy is like the kryptonite to judgment. Because we all know we needed that mercy in our life to get where we are at now. We're in these seats because of the mercy of God. And if we withhold that from somebody else, that's not Jesus. Who are we to dole out mercy by our assumptions? So Luke opens up by saying, be merciful as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given unto you. And you all know this one, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will be poured into your lap. For the same measure you will use to measure you receive. He also told them a parable. Someone who is blind cannot lead another who is blind. Can he? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone when fully trained will be like his teacher. 
Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while you yourself see a beam in your own? You hypocrite. First remove the beam from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This um, sense of arrogance and ignorance uh, in our spiritual uh, behavior is like the blind leading the blind. As long as we have two by fours, in Jesus's words, sticking out of our eyes, how do we know the way of Jesus? And how could we ever expect to take a non-believer, a young believer, or whoever, take our children, take our grandchildren, take friends who are walking in, trying to develop in the way of the Lord, and we got two by four sticking out of our eyes. It's only a matter of time before we fall. Jesus is encouraging us to be like him. And Jesus, if we look at his heart, there is no arrogance. It is simply meekness, humility, and pouring over in mercy. And as we, the more we conduct ourselves like that, this humble state of our heart, that is the quickest antidote to beams in our eye. Humility and meekness. Point number two is that judgment postures us to be like the ultimate judge. As I said before, we are all trying to be like God, but we are a ways off from ever being God. But this posture of judging somebody makes us assume that we know what he knows. And so when we become like the ultimate judge, it gives us a very weird vantage point of our perception of the world. I like to think of it like this. We sit in our ivory towers of salvation and church, and we got some things figured out. We take our eyes and we look down at the lowly world from our tower so nice with our nice sanctuaries and our beautiful music, and we look at the world. We, we dismiss them out of judgment. But if we were to actually reflect on our posture without Jesus, like we sang about, like if we don't have Jesus, we are nothing. We don't, we don't have anything to offer Jesus other than our entire self. We take Jesus out of the equation. We don't have anything, friends. I wish I could tell you something different, but that's what it is. When we take Jesus out, we have nothing, but we present ourselves like Jesus, but in the wrong way by looking down at the world. I would encourage you that our perspective should be looking up, looking out at the world, saying, listen, friend, brother, sister, I was right there. Before Jesus, I was no different than you. If we can be honest, sin is sin. The smallest sin to the biggest sin separated us from heaven. And 10 minutes before you were saved, you were no different than that other person. And I reflected, this has been the journey for my whole salvation life, but specifically over the last couple of months, I've been really reflecting on this, how easy it is to kind of get an overinflated sense of self. And not that God wants to pop your bubble. He just wants you to take your boasting, your enthusiasm, your energy, and he wants it submitted under him. That as we grow and as we inflate, it is to inflate the name of Jesus and not our own. Because as we inflate ourselves, our eyes go down. And we look at everybody with a posture that the world, or that Jesus never intended us to look at. Scripture goes on to tell us about this in James chapter 4. 
verse 11 and 12. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but, by si- but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to serve and destroy, but you, who are, who are you to judge your neighbor? Jesus has all of the divine authority. He is all sufficient. My parents used to tell me this when I was a kid. I was the oldest in my family, three little brothers. My parents were split up, and so they would have single mom, single dad. So I assumed this parent role from time to time. And when my younger brothers would get out of line, I tended to kind of assert myself as parent, you know, 0.5. I would step in and I would kind of assert the justice I felt like needed to be asserted. And uh, to be honest, it didn't help at all. And my dad would say, I don't need your help. I'm dad. And I kind of got that sense here. God is like, listen, I understand like you want the world to know me, but you're not me. You You are reflecting me. I like to think of it like the moon. The moon itself has no source of light. It simply reflects the light of the sun. If we forget that we produce no light, but we are simply reflectors of the light of Jesus, we are even one degree off, but one degree off is enough to be off. You see what I'm saying? There is one judge who is perfect and just, and his justice is balanced with his mercy and grace, and these scales stay in balance only by his power, only by his perfection. And as we heap ourselves into the equation, we misrepresent Jesus to a world that needs to see the best version of Jesus possible. I love in Romans chapter 14, it says, for it is risen, or written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God, therefore each of us will give an account unto God himself. Listen, Jesus has called his shot. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I don't need, we don't need to judge others. Jesus knows, listen, they will know judge when it's time. You need to reflect mercy. You need to reflect love. You need to reflect my holiness. You see, the reason we got all of these 600 plus rules at the time was because God was trying to raise up a generation of Israel out of enslavement from Egypt. He wanted them to be the light on the hill, the reflection of God's providence, protection, and glory on the earth. Now Israel, they kept messing it up. But when God's God's initial plan here was to reflect himself through this nation— And as they continued to mess that up, he says, okay, I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to redeem this all. But now I need you. We are our job. The manifestation of God's original plan was for us to reflect Jesus to the world. In a world that isn't going to get it. From, if you read from the very beginning of this book, you see humanity has never gotten it right. And the reality is, unless Jesus is in the equation, how could we ever expect them to? It's like gravity. Without Jesus, our natural default is to drift away from God. And so how could we ever expect the world to get it? So we judge them as if they know Jesus, but they don't. So what is our job? Introduce them. Introduce them to an authentic, real Jesus, one who can hold 
mercy and love and compassion in one hand and hold his perfection, his holiness, and his justice in the other in perfect balance. Our job is to lead by example. That's what God had instructed Israel to do, and under this new covenant, it's our job to lead by example to a world that needs to see it. Will we bow our knee to Jesus? Will we humbly submit? Will we humbly take our life, our desires, our um, ambitions, our motives, our everything, everything about us, every closet door opened, Will we say, Jesus, you have the keys. Let my life reflect this book and your goodness and perfection to the world. If we can do that, Jesus already promised we will see the world saved. That's the great commission, is to take the heart of Jesus, take the Spirit of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and go into every dark corner of the world and see it transformed by the love of Jesus. The time for judgment will come. Our job, the only reason that you didn't get saved and get immediately beamed up into heaven is because we have a mandate on our life to walk this out in the day-to-day. So to us, for us to judge is to misrepresent and assume a position to be like God. And friends, we don't want to do that. But point three here, there is a time and a place for judging another believer. That's where this last little part, we always look at the speck in the log, but Jesus does go on to say that once you've gotten the log out of your eye, then you can see more clearly to remove the speck out of your brothers. This is, the, this is uh, kind of an, uh, an explanation of that ironing, iron sharpened iron. It's not like marshmallow sharpening a marshmallow. It's not easy, it's not fun. When iron sharpens iron, it is a gritty process. There is a lot of, there's sparks and there's tension, but when you do that, you get sharper and you are able to be used more effectively. This kind of judgment is reserved for the believer, believer to believer. I have some very, very good friends in my life that I call when I sense myself getting out of alignment. When I get myself, when I feel a little out of sorts, they can come in and sharpen me. They can correct me. They can help remove the speck out of my eye because I trust their humility and I trust their heart with God. I've submitted that to leaders here in the church. I've submitted it to friends. That kind of judgment is reserved for believers because we are all playing from the same level ground, Jesus. We all start at Jesus and we all work from that understanding. The world, it's a different standard until they understand Jesus. Jesus didn't express his grace on somebody and not compel them to change. That woman caught in adultery, he stands her up, dusts her off and says, now go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't just pour out grace for the sake of grace. He does grace to show compassion, to compel to a new life founded and rooted in him. So God's grace, and that's his rep, our representation to the world, is if, if God's grace can chase me down, he can chase you down too. If the grace of God can take me from here to here and move me from going this way to this way, if we can submit to that, he can do the same for you. I would imagine if I interviewed everybody in this room, a testimony after testimony of God's provision and grace, I would tell you it wasn't because somebody judged you. 
it was because you encountered a loving God who has a call and a purpose for your life, who plucked you out of the muck of your life and said, I have something more for you, my beloved son or daughter. I want you to go this way now. It was not by somebody coming in and pointing a finger in your, in your face, pointing out your speck in your eye. Never, I would, I could, I would wager everything I had to say that none of you got saved that way. It was by encountering the love of Jesus. So, let me propose this to you. When we judge, whether inadvertently or just out of a brokenness in our heart, it is actually a symptom of something deeper. Judging others is a symptom of a deeper issue. It's a symptom of a lack of revelation of the grace of God on your life. It's a lack of understanding of the grace of God in your life. So I want to propose this to you, that this message on judgment is actually a grace message. This morning, we're going to take communion, and there's no better representation of the grace of God than communion. That he who knew no sin became sin, his body broken, his blood shed with you in mind. Not just you, like your name on a list, you and all your faults, all your shortcomings, all the blemishes, all the warts of your life. I tend to believe that Jesus on the cross was able to reflect on all of it and say, yep, still worth it. I will still do this. When we get that message and we reflect on that, when we meditate on his new mercies every morning, when scripture says to daily pick up your cross and follow him, he is saying to identify with the grace shown to you. When you do that, you can't judge. Do you know where I came from? I can't. How could I ever judge you? Look where I came from. I love this passage. Um, I referenced it earlier. It says uh, in Matthew 12, 34, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is coming out of your mouth is a indicator. It's like the dashboard light telling you what's going on on the inside. If you find yourself spewing anger, spewing judgment, spewing cynicism, spewing sarcasm, whatever it is, it is an indicator of the brokenness or heartache that's going on deep inside of you. But here's the best thing. No self-help, help, no self-help book is going to fix it. No Tony Robbins YouTube video. No like hype thing. No one is going to fix it except the word of God and the revelation of God's grace poured, on, poured out on your life. When we sit on this and we get it, And we say, from our bedside, from your quiet place, we actually reflect and say, Jesus, without you, I am nothing. I have nothing. But I am now because of you. That's when I referred to it earlier. This is not just about doing to become. It's doing because of who I am in Christ. When we get that, everything changes. You can't possibly walk out in your life and start spewing judgment on the world Because you were there only a short time ago. And by the grace of God, he's picked you up, turned you around, and he set your feet on solid ground, just like that song. Friends, let me commission you today. I don't know what got you here this morning. Maybe you've been following the Lord for your whole life. Maybe you've been following him for 10 minutes. Maybe you've never made that choice 
Maybe you're here this morning and you are carrying the weight of every bad decision, every wart, every sin, every broken thing you've ever done, and you are barely holding on. I've been there. Men, I'll I'll speak to you here for a second. That's what we do, right? We put all the weight on our back. I don't need any help. I don't need, I don't need Jesus to take my yoke. Like, it's my decision. I got to live with it. Friends, can I tell you that's a lie? The enemy wants you to be weighed down because he doesn't want you to run for Jesus. He wants to keep you bound down by your guilt, shame, and sin. He wants you to be so weighed down that the call of God on your life can't possibly be enacted because I got to live with this. This is my scars. Listen, friends, that's not the gospel. The gospel says that he took on all sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And he didn't put any like, except this person. He didn't have a list of exceptions. He said, all of your sin, if you would receive this free gift of God, your sin is forgiven. Now, will you run? Will you go? Will you be a son or daughter? I'll tell you, friends, when you understand, when you get a revelation of the grace of God on your life, it'll change you forever. There's no more religious performance. There's no more striving. It is simply being out of a posture that is, I am saved by the grace and blood of Jesus. Let me, let me challenge you with this, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. And if at this time the band can come on out. This verse has changed my life. And I hope it does for you too. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Everybody say sufficient. sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. Can everybody say perfect? Perfect in your weakness. Friends, this morning, you might be thinking, maybe I'm not much of a judgmental person, but maybe you're an angry person. Maybe you're a cynical person. Maybe you're just feeling depressed. These things are symptoms of a heart needing a touch from God. And what's so easy, what the enemy would have you convinced of, is that you need to keep that. That's your badge to wear. Can I tell you, friends, that's just not it. The scripture tells us that Jesus understands your weakness. And in fact, your weakness is where he shines the brightest. This morning, God is going to heal hearts. I've been praying for you guys. I pray for you guys all the time, but just leading up to this message, I specifically asked God to highlight specific needs. And what just kept like meeting me, meeting me was this thought that there are heavy laden hearts that don't know the grace of God. Friends, how how could we ever expect to walk this out without 
putting our whole life into Jesus' hands and saying, you were capable, you were sufficient. Your blood was sufficient for me. You may have committed the worst sin in your mind. The sufficiency of Jesus covered it. Judgment, all of this is symptoms of the heart issue. But maybe you're here today and there's something stirring in you saying, I, that, I've never experienced that. I've only ever known weight. I've only ever known oppression. I've only ever known the religious lack of performance that I exist in. I only have ever known that. Can I tell you, friends, today's your day. Today is your day. We're going, to part, we're going to participate here in communion. And to me, there is no better way than to cast those lies out of your life and into the pits of hell where they came from. Amen. So why doesn't everybody grab their elements? I've been stirring on this thought for a while. If you're in this room, and when I, when I mentioned those heavy hearts, those hearts not yet surrendered to the grace of God, if that struck you, and you would say, yeah, that's, that's me. I am that person. I'm walking around with the weight of all of my failures on my shoulders right now. I'm going to ask that you take a bold step. Today, as we take communion, I'm going to have some intercessors, some altar ministers. They're going to be up here at the altar. But I'm going to ask that you leave your seat and you come up to this altar as a step of faith, saying, God, it's all yours. Change me from the inside out. Root out the broken heart. Change the symptoms because of my healthy heart. The arms of Jesus are wide open. So will you take that bold step? Why doesn't everybody stand with me? In just a moment, we're going to go into this worship song, and that's when I'd like for you to respond to this message. Respond to the call of God. 1 Corinthians 11, we see this uh, retelling of the night of Jesus being betrayed. It says, On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he had taken the cup, saying, This cup is of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, I thank you for every heart and soul in this room. And I pray for the hearts that are terrified to let go of this way because it's the life they've ever known. 
I pray right now that by the blood of the Holy Spirit, or by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would break off those lies in the name of Jesus. If you're an intercessor or if you're a prayer warrior in this room, will you just begin to pray for those people? I know there are hearts. I'm not going to call you out individually, but can we just be interceding? Because I feel like there is a war going on in hearts in this room. And this communion moment is going to be the stamp of victory over those broken parts of your life. So if you have a prayer language, please be praying. If you can intercede, intercede for the hearts right now. Jesus, would you blow through this room? Holy Spirit, would you breathe on us today, God, relieving hearts of the weight of the oppressive nature of sin? that by your immeasurable amount of grace poured out over this place, God, that hearts would be transformed anew, that they would go to the deeper places, God, that they would know you in a way they've never understood you before. Lord, we thank you that by the blood of Jesus, we can be set free and our sin can be removed as far as the east is from the west that we are made new, white as snow. We love you, Lord. At this time, we're going to go into a time of worship. But I'm going to challenge you. Don't walk out of this place leaving anything on the table with God. If you need prayer, I want you to meet me at this altar. If you need to bow your knee, bow your knee. If you need to worship, worship. If you need prayer, come and get prayer. But come and get that encounter with the grace of God that will change your life forever.